when you get your body healthy, it almost makes everything easier to an extent. And that, you know, one of the coolest things that we see is that uh, it's actually the family effect. It's not just the business effect. It's actually the family effect. So with their families, they're noticing that when they're coming home, they're more engaged with their spouse, more engaged with their kids because they actually have more energy to, to almost like give to them. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candice. I'm your host, Candice Horback. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandice.com. From there, you can sign up for our Patreon account where you get early access to episodes and sneak peeks at future guests. Um, or you can click that little link that says buy me coffee. Both things help me out a ton. Um, all of the funds are actually going right back into the podcast. So it's going to help improve the quality, um, get some advertisements out there and uh, hopefully start to scale this baby. Um, a quick word from one of our sponsors, and I th- feel like it's really appropriate with the guests that we have. So I'm a huge fan of CBD um, and this company called Amura has a line that is called Libertine. So this is their, their CBD line. Um, they have these really cool heat, no burn gadgets um, with precisely measured out CBD, CBD flower, which is my preferred method. I just love the flower when it comes to the plants um, versus like the vape liquid and all of that. So you get these really chic and sleek looking devices and you get the purest version of the CBD. Um, so we're actually going to be doing a giveaway with these babies. So uh, if you want your chance to win one of these for free with some CBD flower, all you have to do is make sure that you are following me on social media, um, tag two buddies on this post um, for this episode, and tag Amura, and I will send out these to four lucky winners, and it will come with um, one pack of CBD flour. So what's really cool when you get these babies is that you get like a little, almost like a wine list. It gives you like the tasting notes. Um, It gives you the chemical breakdown of each of the flowers. So that's pretty cool for anyone that likes that information. Um, And then if you just want to your very own if you don't want to you know wait to see if you're one of the winners you can go to amura.com it's o-m-u-r-a.com and use code candace to get 15 percent off if you are a user and you do dig it let me know tag me tag the company um we'd both appreciate it so now that all of my shameless plugs are through please help me welcome dan go dan go is the number one body transformation coach to entrepreneurs. He is the founder of highperformancefounder.com. He's got a really cool Twitter account and I got connected with him with a couple of um, mutual friends online. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. We get into health, fitness, diet, wellness, parenting, um, all of that good stuff. So enjoy. I was um, I was really stoked that you wanted to come on because for the longest time I've been having a lot of requests for like a health and nutrition episode. And I think the way that women look at fitness and health is very different than the way that men attack that same issue. So I definitely want to be able to get it from both angles um, because that's obviously beneficial for everybody. And then I heard you're a new dad, right? Yes. Congratulations. How old? Thank you. She's 13 months old 
uh, and it's going fast. Oh, it's going yeah. super fast. Yeah. Yep. We yeah. have a year and a half year old and it's nice. like, whoo, time moves different. I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow. Is he, is a he or she he. or she or, yeah. okay. And then, um, is he starting to walk right now? Oh my gosh. Running, climbing, like oh, he's very kinesthetic. So we finally got a mama like two days ago. Um, and then he says, I do instead of yes. So he says, I do mama <laughs> and dog and ball. That's all we have. Have. but yeah. movement wise he excels that's awesome we're uh it, you know we're living in costa rica right now so he's and his mother-in-law or sorry not his but uh my daughter's mother-in-law is chinese and we're speaking english he's literally or she our daughter koa is just getting like spanish english and chinese all spoken to her at the same time right now oh uh, so yeah, it is. It is. It's kind of cool. She's she's picking up, you know, she's picking it up. Not walking yet, but I don't think I'm in any rush for that to happen right now. No, I feel like one develops first, right? Yeah. And then that they kind of like sharpen that tool and then they move on to the next skill set. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I would wish that I was – so my dad's um, Japanese. He's like from Japan and he like was so, was so lazy about it. I was like, why didn't you give me that advantage? Because it's such an advantage to be bi or trilingual yeah. or, you know, as many as you can pick up. So yeah. good for you. Yeah. Did, uh, did your dad immigrate to the States by any chance? Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah. I find that with, um, with sort of like immigrant parents, sometimes uh, they want you to almost acclimate yourself to the society as much as possible. So that means like... Even in my uh, in my household, we speak this uh, dialect of Chinese called Fukien, but they never, only when they were swearing at me, they would actually use the language, but <laughs> they never taught it to us. And, that, and part of the reason they did that, uh, they explained later on, was uh, they just want us to be as Canadian as humanly possible and to figure out the language thing later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then now that I'm here... 41 years old. And I'm like, I wish you you just were a little bit more tighter with that and gave, gave me the second language, you know, mm-hmm. stayed on top of it a little bit more, but you know, here we are. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot easier when you're younger as, as are most things yeah. to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm starting to realize that right now. Um, just watching people even like around me, just like learning to surf, there's, there's such a difference between watching a baby learn to surf and watching like almost like this this fifty year old man, surf. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like two different mindsets going going into it. Uh, and and I've been talking about this with a lot of my friends. It seems like as you get age, the one thing that we have to uh, almost like fight against and be aware of is just this acclimation towards fear mm-hmm. and an acclimation towards security. So so I even for myself, like I'm trying to push myself and not do the not do the old man thing and be like, oh, that's too old for me. I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, and, and that's how we kind of like keep ourselves young, you know. But anyways, I'm rambling right now. I'm rambling. We're, we're talking about health and fitness in the beginning. No, but mindset's a huge part of that, right? Yeah, and then I would say, um, especially when you adjust like the family dynamic shifts, which is a very real um, like 
turning point for most people, like that becoming a parent, like that nothing rocks you quite like that. Like that's one of the biggest changes that you'll go through as a human. Um, So I think at first, I think it's really interesting that you focus on entrepreneurs because that's its own special mindset compared to like the average guy that walks into like a planet fitness, right? Very different people. Um, And then tackling someone who's maybe an entrepreneur and a new parent and they're married. So how do you start to kind of cultivate the mindset of I need to prioritize my body when there's all of these other stressors coming at me, right? Because let's say you're the main provider. So you kind of tend to put your career at number one priority because that helps provide for your family, which is truly the number one priority, right? So how do you fit body in there? Because that seems like a vanity project. It, it seems like a vanity project, but when we can change the perception of the body from uh, vanity to a almost like a mindset of performance, then it almost like we it's almost like we switch up their brains a little bit. So like when we take in entrepreneurs, they are dealing with almost like anywhere between nine to 14 hour days, depending on what they're doing. Um, they're also dealing with coming home and not having to deal with family, but raising their family after a long day of stressful work. Mm -hmm. And, and then at the, at some point in time, they're like, what is this all for? Why would I even try to get my body in shape? And my counterpoint to that, and and what we try to get our clients to see and what they see when they start to get results is that health has the number one med effect on the rest of your life. So, if you are unhealthy and you get your body into shape and you're doing healthy things like exercising, drinking water, uh, you know, eating a very clean whole food based diet, you actually see this next level of energy and performance. So when our clients actually start to see this, like they find themselves, they're not taking naps anymore. You're not, you're not waking up with brain fog anymore. They're not, they're not realizing how much they were kind of driving their car with like this parking brake on because uh, they've been dealing with almost like low energy and also low confidence as well, just uh, having to having to deal with seeing their bodies every day and not doing anything about it. So when you get your body healthy, it, it almost makes everything easier to an extent. And that, you know, one of the coolest things that we see is that uh, it's actually the family effect. It's not just the business effect. It's actually a family effect. So with their families, they're noticing that when they're coming home, they're more engaged with their spouse, more engaged with their kids because they actually have more energy to, to almost like give to them. And the second thing that we notice with them is that their family members start getting in on the act because if there's anything that we know about parents uh, and dads especially is that they're the leaders of the family. So when they start hitting the gym, I've seen countless times when their son's and their daughters actually start going to the gym with them. They start eating healthy things and they start taking care of their bodies because the dad is doing it. So so I, I look at health and I look at uh, fitness as almost like this thing that makes your entire life better. And if we can see it from that angle, then then maybe it makes us more willing to like do those things rather than like from a vanity angle. Mm-hmm. And if you're not operate, operating at a peak performance, like if you're carrying a, carrying a ton of extra weight or um, like you let your body go to a point where you start getting like illness or autoimmune mm. issues, then 
I mean, you you can directly see the effect everywhere in your life. You you won't be able to work if it gets so bad. You won't be able to maintain healthy relationships if it gets so bad. So I think we too often just write it off as I want washboard abs, and anyone yeah. who invests that time doesn't care about their business or is neglecting their family. It's it's all related. I think it's all about balance as well. So if you're yeah. at the gym for five hours a day and then that's all you're doing, well, that's maybe not a good idea if you have other goals. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of attacking it from like a healthy, a healthy perspective. Um, I was curious. So when it comes to Getting into fitness, I find like it's very easy to overdo stuff, especially if you're talking to entrepreneurs, right? Like someone who's just like a go, go, go kind of person. Um, How do you prevent, I guess, like a negative relationship with that? So for me, what I see and just from what I've experienced as a woman, it's we we tend to hyper-focus on calories and we get a negative relationship with food. So we end up actually eating foods that are worse for us and do more damage to our body, like diet, light, Splenda, all of these things, Um, because that's just like really dated nutritional information that we were raised with. And then with men, we see men that just want to be like the next – like you know, Schwarzenegger and they're going to CrossFit and destroying their joints or they're trying to lift things that they have no business lifting. So how do you, I guess, check that ego and then cultivate a healthy relationship with diet and exercise? Well, I, I think the first thing that has to happen is understanding our thoughts, beliefs, and how we approach diet and exercise in the first place. Because what this does is it almost like gives you a mirror into how people deal with their issues and problems. And I think most of the times, let's, let's talk about diet just first. Um, we can't necessarily switch up the diet and start eating clean and start eating high protein and do any of this kind of stuff. Unless we actually get down to the root issues of like why you, why you actually eat so much in the first place. Why is it uncontrollable? So the very first part is actually bringing awareness to that. So um, with entrepreneurs, especially, uh, or anyone, actually, like a lot of people deal with this. Uh, they, they actually deal with the aspect of stress eating and eating their emotions. And a lot of times they want to get tactical about it. So, okay, I got to count my calories and then I got to cut out carbs. or I got to do this and that. I got to fast for like three days. But what they're doing is they're taking like a tool and trying to fix a symptom where they're not necessarily going into the causes as to like why they do these things in the first place. So we actually have to see what these behaviors are and we have to see what the underlying uh, reasons that they're actually doing these behaviors are. Right. So Mm -hmm. a lot of it is kind of like figuring out what those emotions are, bringing awareness to it and making sure that we're not necessarily going to eradicate it. I mean, that's never going to happen, but we want to set up a strategy where you're able to deal with it on a regular basis because it will come. And then afterwards, we want to make everything as simple as possible. So we do have a very uh, boutique service. Uh, and obviously, we work with a, with a very specific clientele. We work with high, with high-achieving entrepreneurs. So what we do, it sounds so funny, but we try to actually make things as simple as humanly possible for them. So a lot of times, you'll, you'll see trainers, okay, you got to count every single macro. And you got to do cardio on your off days and you got to do cardio before your workouts and you got to do this and that. And they will like try to attack this problem um, with as much intensity as possible. But the, the reality is, is that they're not in this fitness game. You know, they have a life, uh, they have a family and this 
may be like number three on the priority list, right? Mm -hmm. So we try to actually make things as as simple as humanly possible for them. So one of the things that we do is we try to line up their their nutrition with their schedules because a lot of times they're trying to like follow these like 16, 8 fasts and do all this kind of stuff when the reality is, is that every single, actually I had a client say this to me. It's like, what is my diet called? What, what, What do you call this diet? I need to know. And I'm like, it is your name, diet. Okay. It is Lance. This is the Lance diet. Okay. And I feel like everyone needs a certain degree of specialization when mm-hmm. it comes to kind of like fitting things into their schedule. And we want to make the diet almost as easy as humanly possible. And especially with entrepreneurs and people who have uh, access to resources, uh, one of the things that we love to do is find a very simple way in, your, in which you're getting prepared food in your hands you know, in the most convenient way possible, whether that's through cooking on your own meal delivery or even getting like a personal chef. But, but again, main thing about the diet is to make it as simple as possible and to almost like set up an environment in a way where it's going to be easy for your body to lose weight and to lose body fat in a sustainable way. That's not making you feel hungry mm-hmm. all the time. And the same thing goes with the workouts. Uh, I like to tell my clients that, Hey, you, you didn't get your body out of shape in a matter of six weeks. So don't expect to get your body in shape in a matter of six weeks. And also when it comes to the the process of wanting to build muscle and, and most entrepreneurs, they actually, a lot of them that I work with, they just want to lose like the gut, you know, that's all they want to do. They just want to lose the gut. They want to feel some, they want to feel confident about their body and you want to feel like they're, they're actually rocking this area of their life. Mm-hmm. So with the workouts, we make it very simple. Um, we don't get them to do boatloads of cardio. We actually just get them to uh, to just like walk and just to do very light kind of uh, active recovery type of stuff. And then mm-hmm. we focus on we focus on the gym and we focus on just building muscle in the gym. And actually, when it comes to building muscle in the gym, it doesn't really take that long either. It takes maybe like 45 minutes to an hour, three days a week. We don't want their their lives to be interconnected with the gym whatsoever. That's my job. It's not theirs. And and in general, when we're looking at the the scope of what this person is dealing with, uh, we have to hit it from an emotional angle. Okay, so why are we doing these things? And then we have to look at their schedules and be strategic about it and be like, okay, so uh, when is going to be the perfect time for you to eat your meals? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are we going to get these meals prepared for you? How are we going to get these meals in your hands? And then we also strategize on the workouts. Okay, when are we going to do these workouts? You know, how are we going to actually make sure we stick them as well mm-hmm. and make this a part of your life that's almost like brushing your teeth? Mm-hmm. So, so we just get really strategic and we try to specialize as much as humanly possible with every single client. And once they find kind of like what we find, what we say is like their natural rhythm of doing things, then it just makes things just really easy, you know. And and a lot of it is is like a, it's it's not necessarily trying to fit fitness into your it actually it's not trying to fit your life into fitness it's actually trying to fit fitness into your life right it's trying to fit being in shape into your life and not making it the whole idea of what your life is supposed to be about mm-hmm. so so that's what we try to do as much as possible yeah i think that's so important and i think so i recently recently with having a baby and then like everything that was happening with the lockdowns i wasn't going to work out with a mask on. Like that was just mm. something that I thought was a little bit silly. Um, breathing in, you know, all of your yeah. CO2 while you're doing something that that demanding. So I left the gym that I was with for a while and I loved the people, um, but they were just being really tight with the restrictions and I found a gym that wasn't. So yeah. I went to that gym just so I could get movement in while I was waiting for things to kind of lift. And um, the problem was 
it was one of those boot camp classes. Mm. Um, and I, when I signed up, I had told them when I, you know, I had a baby X amount of months ago. This is me first getting back into movement regularly since that. But they definitely didn't relay that. And they have so many trainers. There's no way to really do that. Yeah. And they would push me so hard. I kid you not. For the the first workout I did, I was probably so – I have like two flights of stairs for my, my house. Couldn't go up the stairs for like two weeks. Was in agonizing pain. Probably still dehydrated. And they're like, lift more. Lift heavier. Do more reps. And I'm like, there is overtraining. You know what I mean? Yes. It does. I'm, first, I'm not trying to go to the Olympics. Also, when you do this and I can't work out properly for two weeks, you just did more damage. So I ended up – not going to that gym and just not working out until all the restrictions lifted because I'm like, I can't win here. And I'm so fascinated how boot camps kind of still exist because it is – I will look over and there will be a 250-pound man next to me and we're supposed to do the same workout. Yeah, That doesn't make sense. It's – so all things considered, I think boot camps and CrossFit are – are almost like, I'm not going to say they're the bane of fitness and anyone who's watching and doing these things, you know, if that gets you in shape and more power to you, that's great. But when we think about how getting stronger, building muscle and actually burning fat is, you know, when we think about the, the basic tenets of these, it's not actually about like trying to like drive you into the ground as much as possible. It's actually about slowly building you up to where you're doing a little bit more than you did the, the day before mm-hmm. and doing it in a way that's safe for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually had this client, uh, New York Times bestseller guy is just freaking awesome. And he was doing CrossFit right before he met me. And he actually said to me, is like, are the workouts supposed to be this easy? Right. <laughs> and, and I was like, yeah, dude, like take your rest, man. Chill out. Go tweet, you know, go do your thing. And he was like, dude, af- like after every single CrossFit class that he did, exercise is actually supposed to be this thing that makes you like super energetic. But he found himself, he was dragging his feet because mm-hmm. they were just driving him into the ground. And in, in general, it's like you can't, you can't really do programming for everybody. Like programming a workout actually has to be specific, has to be individualized to the goals and in general, when, when people invest into things, say like F45, say into like that boot camp or, or things of that nature, they're tying in this correlation that your exercise and how much you sweat is correlated to your results. When the reality is that it, it actually has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and yeah, like workouts are supposed to actually build you up, make you stronger, give you more energy and, and actually make you feel good instead of like, Driving down your driving down your body, making it super intense, and then making you have injuries, uh, you know, from from one day to another, and having these nagging injuries. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm not necessarily a fan of, of boot camp workouts whatsoever. Not necessarily a fan of working out with your mask either. I think that's like ridiculous. I think that's uh, yeah. I remember I tried like swatting heavy with a with a mask on, and it was almost like wearing those gas masks, mm-hmm. you know, while you're trying to lift. I mean. Apparently it's supposed to be good for MMA fighters, but not necessarily good if we're trying to be normal people trying to get a lift in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there was a time where people were showing those compilations of people just like passing out. Yeah. And I was like, I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad people are sharing it. And I mean, you know, if, 
you're again, people are going to come at me and you can look at other episodes. I'm all for wearing masks if you want to wear a mask. But I think there is a line when you see kids passing out at a track meet. Um, But so going back to like personalization. So there's this ad that my husband keeps seeing all over his um, social. And he's like, I have to put my VPN on because like they're watching me (laughs) because he's like, he's been really trying to research like diet and exercise since becoming a dad. Like I always joke, like we both had gained weight during the pregnancy (laughs) Um, and he's hanging on to probably a little bit more than me at this point. (laughs) Um, But the new thing that we're seeing ads for are uh, fasting windows dependent Mm. on your body type. So there's like 864. And I'm just curious how much of that is like clickbaity. And if you are a fan of intermittent fasting or even doing like those 24-hour fasts that I know some – like they tell a lot of women to do like 24 to 36 once a week, especially if you're like postmenopausal and how much of that is accurate. I feel like uh, all of these, mo- like a good amount of these, uh, these ads, like the thing for fasting for your body type are just clickbaity. Uh, okay. They're, I would say that are highly BS. Uh, there is no research out there that uh, actually, there's no research out there that actually says what body type you, you are actually. That's, that's kind of like the thing that that's kind of like the most misconceived uh, notion in fitness is that this person's this person's pudgy, so we're gonna call them you know mesomorphic or whatever like that. And this person is this. When the reality is is that that, that actually has no basis in in uh, science whatsoever. That was I think it was done as like a, a like I think it started off as almost like a marketing and advertising or sales kind of uh, sales kind of angle. But uh, I'm not exactly too sure about that. But when it comes to fasting, what we know about it is is actually it's pr- actually not bad for digestion. So if people have IBS, if people actually have digestive issues, then it seems like doing anything from a period of like uh, sixteen to twenty four hours for a fast is actually pretty good for your digestion. Mm. Apart from that, if we're thinking about burning fat, if we're thinking about yeah, let's just say if we're thinking about burning fat, there is nothing to say that uh, fasting is actually better than uh, than caloric restriction. Uh, there's nothing to say that fasting is even good for the muscle. Actually, it's, I find that fasting is actually highly detrimental to, if you want to keep and retain, if not build some muscle. And, and the thing about fasting is that it's just a really cool way to reduce calories from going into your body. And I know we're talking about this and I'll, I'll I'll drop in one more thing about fasting is that not many people talk about this. It's the fact that in a certain subset of people, when people fast, especially women, they find that there are higher levels of anxiety when yeah. they are actually in prolonged fasts. And I've seen this with myself. And another thing they don't talk about, say, with like fasting is when people fast, they have almost uncontrollable uh, hunger and appetite at the end of the day. So if they fasted for like 24 hours, you usually see someone just like scarfing down whatever uh, calories that they've uh, that they've uh, stayed away from that entire day in like one shot. Mm-hmm. So it makes it almost makes your appetite uncontrollable. Now, does it work for some people? It's great, especially for like uh, people who who are trying to like throw anything up at the wall to to see if it sticks. Like uh, people who are severely obese. I mean, like you know, I would say try everything. Usually, I actually find that these fad diets like uh, keto and and fasting they work really well for for people in that subset because Mm -hmm. it gives them fast results and it gives them something that is very simple 
And it also helps them like lose a, a shit ton of fat, you know, without necessarily having to work too hard. But for people like say who are, you know, maybe like if they're 15 pounds overweight, maybe like your husband or mm-hmm. people like us where, you know, we're sort of, we're, you know, we're pretty fit. We're where we want to be. Then fasting is one of those things that is not necessarily going to be beneficial from a long-term angle. And, and my whole thing is just like, as we get older, so I'm 41 right now. And as I get older, I mean, I'm just looking to get stronger and to build muscle in a very slow and sustainable way. And to me, like the holy grail of, of body transformation or, or just like getting healthy in general is just to drop body fat and to increase muscle. Mm-hmm. So, so with fasting in general, I don't think it's one of those. It actually helps you do one thing. It's not necessarily going to help you do the other. Uh, when it comes to just like diets in general, a lot of it is just like super fluff. And, and I do feel, and I do feel to a very large extent, I believe that everything has to be again, tailored to the person. And I'm not talking about like body types. I'm not talking about like personality types, but maybe who knows, but blood types is a thing. Yeah. The blood type diet. Yeah. I I have. Mine is like the most restrictive. So I'm like, I don't care if this will make me look like Giselle because I wouldn't be able to eat anything. Yeah. And, and the thing about those blood type diets is just like, it's just not accurate. I mean, it's not as accurate as, as we all think it is. And, And we're actually like something that I say about science in general is that we, we actually have advanced very significantly, but there's a lot that we don't know. So a lot of like the stuff that people are kind of like using single studies on and just like pushing out there as like the truth, uh, there is still a lot more research to be done behind it. So, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't believe in eating for your body type. I don't believe in eating for your blood type. I do believe in like just keeping things as simple as possible and then tuning it to your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, if certain foods don't agree with you, then we're not going to eat certain foods, but but in general, we try to keep things as less restrictive as possible and as more attuned to what they do already. Mm-hmm. So what about when it comes to boosting testosterone? Because that's one of like the really big claims of the um, intermittent fasting is that it's supposed to help boost testosterone. Yeah. It's, it's going to be hard to boost testosterone if you're limiting the amount of muscle you're able to build inside of a, inside of a workout. Mm. Uh, so I think fat, like especially with like um, testosterone, I found that again, just it's foundational. So for me, I found the best testosterone, I guess, boosting cocktail is number one, let's not be fat, you know, or let's not be overly fat, mm-hmm. right? Let's actually keep our body fats down to a, to a nominal level and do whatever you can with your diet and exercise to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is to actually lift heavy weights and to build muscle. Um, and heavy weights is a very subjective term. It's just heavy according to what you think is heavy. And then the next one is just time in nature, time in the sun, uh, making sure you're getting adequate vitamin D levels, uh, just to make sure that it, it gives you that best environment to actually boost testosterone. And, and, and that's pretty much it. You know, I, I think people, especially with like guys, you know, with, especially with testosterone, they look at it as like, uh, as almost like that secret magic trick mm-hmm. and that like magic hack. So I don't know if your husband has been through this, but maybe you heard a couple of his friends are like, yeah, man, like. I went to his testosterone doctor and my T was like super low mm-hmm. and now I'm like on testosterone and, uh, you know, technically I have to be on it forever, but you know, <laughs> now I'm on testosterone. My, my T levels are this. And, mm-hmm. 
And usually when I see people like that, it's like they haven't exhausted the natural means to get there Mm. at at all. So, you know, people who are getting like testosterone shots are not necessarily sleep. Actually, sorry, sleep is a big one. So they're not sleeping eight hours a day. They're not hitting the gym and lifting heavy. They're not spending time in nature. They're not actually doing anything to diet down and get rid of the body fat. So they haven't even given themselves a chance. So they're actually taking, you know, exogenous like testosterone to, to supplement it. to kind of like fix a problem that that is actually needed to be fixed by work and not necessarily by injections. I didn't know that um, sunlight and nature were a part of that calculation. So they do it in the very roundabout way, right? So I'm not going to say like, okay, well, if you, if you get direct sunlight, then you, you're boosting testosterone by 25% or anything like that. But what time in nature and sunlight does is it actually helps reduce cortisol. So when you're reducing your stress levels and when you're, when you're spending time out in nature and when you're actually breathing in the greens and doing some forest bathing or maybe like, you know, laying on the sun, whatever it is, it de-stresses you. It mm-hmm. lowers your cortisol levels. So that gives you, again, like a better chance at uh, increasing your testosterone levels. And that's your belly fat usually too, right? With men. Yeah. yeah it's, it's that, yeah, the belly fat, you know, what we call like android fat. Um, we find that when people have an enormous, like enormous gut and enormous belly, then that alone is going to severely hamper their, their, uh, I guess their efforts towards boosting testosterone. And, uh, and if I were to simplify, I'd be like, don't be fat, gain some muscle, spend time out in nature and get your sleep. That's, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And then isn't it like, um, like large muscle groups as well? Like that's also a way like, so do incorporating legs every day to some yeah. extent. I, I don't know about legs every day, although that would be like so torturous and you have to be super masochistic to want to do like legs every single day. And legs are like, legs are like the bane of my society or bane of my existence. But when I think about the foundational exercises, yes, it is like the squat. It is the, it is the uh, deadlift. It is the bench. It is uh, some form of rowing. It is some form of uh, overhead uh, pulling. It is uh, some form of overhead pressing and uh, some form of hip thrusting or hip hinging mm-hmm. and uh, maybe like a single leg movement in terms of that. And if, if you actually just focus on maybe those movements then and actually just get progressively stronger in those, I feel like those would give you like the best, uh, the, almost like the best uh, environment to boost testosterone for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because also with the, when you start taking the um, the injections as well, I don't know if like if you're trying to to conceive is that kind of puts a hindrance on that. So um, yeah. I remember the my husband's doctor was saying, well, we could put you on this, but we know you guys want to have another kid, and so yeah, that's not an option for him. Yeah, it's a. Uh, well- I don't, I don't want to talk about your husband when he's not in the room and, and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, if he did like, I mean, are you guys actually trying to get like kids again mm-hmm. or try to ha- have multiple? How many kids do you want? We want like two. I say two, yeah. but then there's like those really amazing days and you're like, I could have a lot of kids. And he's like, he's so, like, Candace, we need to talk. Yeah, I so do true. not want 10 kids. <laughs> like, so we okay, actually yeah. said, we actually said one. Uh-huh. And then things are so going so good with uh, our daughter that sometimes like you give the eye to your spouse. You're like, Hey, what yeah. do you think about like one more, you know, uh-huh. a couple more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, you know, let's just say like your husband, he wants to boost testosterone. It, it's, it's really just like, okay, well let's drop the body fat bit. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's actually do that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's just hit the gym and let's just, let's just kind of like keep things as simple as humanly possible. 
And we also have to consider the fact that when you have a kid, especially from a guy's perspective, testosterone drops, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this like significant drop of testosterone when you have a child. And I have my own theory around this as well. What's your theory? So, so my theory is, is that people find there's a correlation between the drop in testosterone uh, and having a child because of the fact that guys, when they have a child and actually just guys and guys and women or, you know, whatever, whatever nouns you want to use, you know, but when they actually have a child, they're not getting sleep. They are not exercising. They are eating like crap because they're not getting sleep. And then this is the cocktail to drop your testosterone. You're not going out in nature as much as you want. You don't, you're not free. You, you basically have a kid 24 mm-hmm. seven. So that's my theory. I think like what happens when you have a kid is like all the things that you're doing that were healthy kind of go out the window. Cause you're trying to take care of this kid. You have to refine those, but then those are the reasons why your testosterone is actually dropping. Do you want to hear the evolutionary biologist um, theory? So they say that the reason that the dad's uh, T drops so significantly when the baby's born is that essentially like in the caveman eras, you you would want him to like stay and help take care of the baby and not like go out hunting and go out Mm. and try to find like the next hot thing to spread the seed. So you kind of want him to be like a little bit calmer, a little bit more tame so that he stays in the cave. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's right. It's an evolution. It could be an evolutionary thing, but okay. So on top of what you mentioned, cause that also usually does happen as well. So now you're double. Oh, man. I don't know. I, I don't know. Cause even as like a guy and even as a husband, you know, it, it's like, uh, it's like that switch is still there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to say this. I, I don't want to get too in-depth into this, but I'm going to say that it's like when you have your first child, I've, I found that you actually get more intimate with your partner. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to this as well. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's something to it where it's like you're, you're almost like born to procreate. So you're, you're going to want to have like, you know, more more intimacy with like your partner and stuff. But that I've never heard that theory before. I think it's I think it's kind of cool. But then like when we were cavemen, weren't we just like going all over the place and just like, you know, having sex with like different ladies and you know, clubbing them over their head and bringing them back home? I, I could be totally wrong. Like my evolutionary biology is like <laughs> not, not up to par whatsoever. Yeah. I don't think men tended to be monogamous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shoot. Body's so weird, man. Yeah. So it, weird. Yeah, it like remembers from hundreds of thousands of years ago and we're just trying yeah. to trying to update it slowly. If you think about it, like we we have the same brain we actually have the same hardware from like ten to twenty thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Literally have the same hardware. We have the same almost pretty much like the same software. Maybe not, depending on depending on what people do with the, on their the brains. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it, we're, we're we don't have anything different. But I do believe the lifestyle's changing. Well, I mean, not do believe, but it is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, even right now, we're like sitting down, um, having this podcast. When in reality, it's like we would be moving. Mm-hmm. You know, we would actually be like out and about, and you know, be hunting, maybe like doing whatever. But we'd be in constant movement. So it's like it's like we have these uh, it's like we have these prehistoric bodies with this new age lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to figure it out right now. All trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a simple recipe to kind of 
fix the ailments that we're seeing, which is like lack of energy and maybe bodies that are carrying around a little bit of extra weight that maybe we know shouldn't be there is to kind of counter those those changes. Like we know we're sitting on Zoom for two hours or whatever it is. So maybe put in the extra effort to like go for a walk. And I think that's so important too, as you mentioned with your clients, is that something that you recommend even more than doing all this hard cardio? Because people don't realize how how much you can destroy your joints from running, right? Like it might make you lose a little bit of weight faster, but walking can be just as good for you and has like what I would say are more long-term benefits because it's sustainable. Yeah. And with, uh, with walking, it's one of the most like amazing forms of active recovery. Mm -hmm. And, uh, just from an anecdotal standpoint, it's like when you go for a 15 minute walk, you're going out in nature, you just come back like a very more peaceful person. Mm -hmm. And, I find that like I I don't get any of my clients to do cardio at least right off the bat, right? And mm-hmm. I just don't even get them on the treadmill. And every single one of them, actually, about fifty percent of them are like, "Thank God!" And the other fifty percent is, "Dude, where's my cardio, man?" Like, you know what? <laughs> and and I do this for a very specific reason, and it's because cardio has this law of diminishing returns, right? So the more cardio you do, uh, the more detrimental it becomes to your body, and the more you actually have to do it to elicit the same benefits. Mm. So, you know, for a guy who goes like, uh, let's just say like for a guy who goes on the 20 minute runs, first time running and goes on 20 minute run, does this like five times and does it for like a full on like three weeks, he's going to find that he actually lost a good amount of weight just doing that. Then he loses the amount of weight. He, he, he keeps on doing this. He finds that after like six weeks, the results are actually slowing down. They're not coming as fast. So he actually finds that he has to up his cardio. He has to increase the amount of time that he does it. And then what it, what that does is that also increases the chances of injuries and joints uh, and almost like joint instability because you are putting more pounds on your joints. You're putting more like repetitions on them. So as you're trying, as you actually have to do more, your body is almost like needing to do less. And that's why I call it like the, the law of diminishing returns with cardio It's like, in order to elicit the same like fat burning effect, you actually have to keep on doing more incrementally. You have to keep on progressively overloading it. When the reality is, is that we don't have to use cardio to, to lose any weight or to burn off any fat. If you want to do it for the brain boosting benefits, I say right on, you know, like you want to do it, you want to turn on your brain. I say, go ahead, go for a 10 minute hit run, you know, go for a 10 minute hit session and, and that's one of the best ways to turn on your, your brain. Mm. But if you're doing it specifically for weight loss and to lose weight or to burn calories, then it's almost like fight, you're just fighting a losing game, I find. And you can get the same benefits that you get from cardio that you can get from walking. It's all in the distance. So if you want to do a kilometer, go walk a kilometer mm-hmm. instead of running a kilometer. It's going to be much easier on your body. You're going to get much more, you're actually going to get just as much of a mental benefit than you did with the actual running. It may take a little bit longer. Yes. But again, you're doing a solid for your body over the long term, mm-hmm. rather than trying to, rather than trying to trade off your body in order to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. So I guess, are those decisions also funneled through longevity? So like, that's something that's really trendy right now is everyone wants to live to be like 130 years old or forever in some cases. And when it comes to like marathon runners or um, like Olympic heavy lifters, like that's not the recipe for longevity. 
Um, so do you yeah. kind of uh, make your clients' protocols based off of that as well and like educate them on that? Or is it dependent on whether that's a goal of theirs? Longevity is usually, is always a goal. Uh, you know, I've never met anyone that's just came to me and it's like, you know what? Uh, I want to live this life as fast as humanly possible. It's <laughs> like, you know, everyone, everyone wants to stay here. Uh, so I look at it from a, an aspect of two things. So one is the, the quantity of life, so the length of your life. And when we get to the length of your life, uh, there's one very specific thing that we know is that, uh, is that if you're in a long-term uh, caloric deficit then you're, and you're doing it with whole foods, with nutritious foods, you're keeping your weight down, that actually gives you the best bet to, to – living as long as humanly possible. Now there's the other thing, which is quality. So I, as you get older, what happens is, is that you, you just wither and you just, you just almost like fade. So it's on us, you know, I'm, I'm 41 right now and I have to do everything I can to make sure I am keeping my level of uh, performance at, at a specific, at a specific level at a level that I am, uh, that I'm very satisfied with. And I understand that, you know, if you can actually do these things, like as, as you're 41 or as you're 31 or whatever age that you are, then you can increase that quality of life that usually old people miss or not old people, <laughs> I don't want to call them old people, but the elderly, if they're, if they're elderly and they haven't worked out, they haven't exercised, they haven't built muscle, they haven't uh, done any kind of like uh, mobility or stretching then they're going to have a very uniquely different quality of life than someone who has been to the gym, has been exercising, has been taking care of his body, and also has been doing some form of like mobility. So when it comes to the quality of life, I actually think muscle is that secret, right? Because it is the one thing in our bodies that actually starts to dwindle by the time we get down, by the time we get to the age of 30. Mm. And it starts to decrease if we don't keep it up. And, and the thing is, is that it's not just your muscles. It's also strengthening your joints. You want to make sure that your joints are strong. You don't want to hit hip replacement surgery at like 65 or 70. You know, you want to actually have a solid body from a joint perspective and from a muscle perspective. And I think the more muscle, you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, definitely don't have to be him. But the more muscle that you have on your body, uh, the more you're going to be able to do really cool stuff uh, as you age. And I actually do think that to a certain degree, it keeps me young as well. It keeps me young. I, I have this, like, again, this theory where I think it's like stretches your skin and just like, it, it just like keeps it in a perfect place or whatever. But again, you know, there's just something to be said about just uh, the, the weightlifting and being able to feel and look young. So, so again, if you want to live the longest that you want to live, and I tell my clients this all the time, it's like find a way of eating that keeps you at a, a weight that you're very happy with and that's going to be healthy and do as much as you can to build as much muscle as possible. And, and again, you're not going to be Arnold. You're, you can expect maybe one pound of muscle gained within like a 12 to 16 week time frame, mm -hmm. maybe even longer, depending on how trained you are. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's more quality and quantity. And when we get these two things going together, uh, man, I, you know, you just see those, those videos on, on uh, TikTok and Instagram of like 56, 60 year olds doing like L sits and stuff. And, and, and if I were to create like the, the most perfect society, I would almost want to have everyone geared towards that and just being like the most, 
well, it's not jacked, but the most fit human beings as possible, no matter what their age is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a certain level of like mental clarity that kicks in once you are moving every day, and it doesn't have to be intense, but just like moving with intention every day. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were designed to move, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like if we're not moving our bodies then essentially we're not doing anything to build and also protect our brains. And, uh, man, I always say this on Twitter every single time. I'm like, you know, hey, the harder you work your body, the better your brain's going to work. And then some guy on Twitter replies back, well, Stephen Hawking has something to say to you. Right now. <laughs> <No. laughs> they always say something like the exception or whatever it is. And now I'm just like, okay, well, I always expect it. Mm-hmm. But but in general, if we actually look at the the bevy of research that we have right now, we know that there's a brain body connection. We know that we were meant, to, and we are actually talking about this very earlier. It's like you know, as humans, uh, we have these prehistoric bodies that were meant to move, mm-hmm. uh, that were meant to be in motion. So when we're sitting down and when we're kind of like being uh, having a sedentary life, it's almost like an affront to our brains. And there's a very specific reason why you exercise. And then you have all these crazy ideas and you have all these creative stuff coming out of your brain. It's because you are literally, it is like exercise is like the on switch for your brain. And it doesn't matter how you get it. Personally, for me, I think you get the most ROI uh, from lifting mm. uh, because you get your heart health, you get your lung health, you build muscle, you protect your joints. I, I just see it as like a win, 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 as long as you, you know, want, as long as you intend to do it properly and with good form mm-hmm. and, in general, it's just like, yeah, it's, it's just set yourself up as, as much as humanly possible to, to be as fit as you can. Yeah. So have you played around with like any of these like trendy workouts or trendy diets and then done um, like blood tests to see if that affects like your biological age at all? Uh, I, okay. The blood test thing I have not done, mm-hmm. but I have done countless DEXA scans. Um, and, and for me, uh, a lot of people go to blood work and that's cool. I, I find like I'm a DEXA. So a DEXA scan is like the most accurate body fat scan that you can get in, in the entire world, at least right now. You should never get your body fat tested by in-bodies or uh, any kind of like things that you have to hold on to. You want to get like a proper DEXA scan. So I've, I've like poured over maybe hundreds of DEXA scans uh, over the course of uh, the last like two or three years. And we found very specific things. So number one is when we're looking at a DEXA scan, obviously we're looking at body fat. We're looking at lean mass. We're also looking at uh, other areas of your body. So you have this thing called Android fat, which is the, which is almost like the fat between your neck and the bottom of your waist, your trunk area. And that is actually the most active fat that you have in your body. So it's the most dangerous. Mm. And then you have uh, your gynoid fat, which we don't really care about. It's kind of like the subcutaneous stuff. It's like cellulite. It, it, it doesn't have an effect on your health. It just looks a certain way. And we also get into this thing called visceral adipose tissue, which is the amount of uh, highly active fat that you have in and around your organs. So mm. by doing these DEXA scans, uh, we found very specific things in regards, to, uh, in regards to things that work and things that don't. Number one is uh, we find that people are, especially beginners and people who are just restarting on fitness, like uh, people who haven't hit the gym in a long time, these guys can actually be considered ranked beginners uh, because they have this muscle memory. They can always gain back this muscle. So we find with guys that are beginning or just restarting that uh, they have a very significant chance to burn body fat and gain lean mass at the same time. 
And a guy who is like, say, a bodybuilder who's been in the gym uh, very consistently for the past like 10 years, mm-hmm. he's not necessarily going to be able to see that happen with himself. But with a guy like who's just restarting, you can actually build muscle and burn body fat at the same time. It's very real. And we have actually seen this on our DEXA scans. And we've seen it with the, we've seen it with 57 year olds, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So we actually, uh, I actually just did an interview with this guy and he's a client and um, he basically at 57 years old, he dropped his body fat by a factor of 30 pounds. Like we're saying pure body fat. And he gained, I think seven pounds of lean mass. In the fat in a span of about sixteen weeks, and okay, so there's a couple of things that that, that actually contribute. And te- no, no, sixteen. Sorry, sixteen. Sixteen. Okay, yeah, I was like sixteen Holy weeks. Cow. Yeah. So we find that you know that's just an example. Uh, we've we found that that happens a lot, especially with guys that we were just talking about. And there's a couple of reasons for this. So number one is uh, we put people on highly, like super high. Well, I won't say super high, but I would say moderately high protein diets. Mm. Uh, because if, there, if there's anything that we know about protein, it's that it's highly thermogenic. That's number one. And it also has the highest dietary, it actually has the highest dietary induced thermogenesis, which means it's like the most fat burning, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we realize is that it actually helps you build muscle. So we try to line up our clients' diets with, uh, with actually a little bit more protein than what uh, people would normally recommend. That's the first thing. The second thing is we obviously clean the diet up. They're not going to be eating pizzas and beers and like all this kind of stuff. We try to actually make their bodies as like uh, environmentally fat burning friendly as possible. And the the other thing that we do is we progressively overload their bodies inside of the gym. Um, we we actually have a very like we have a three day split for them. It's especially for beginners. We do less. We don't do more, and because you can do so much more with with actually just like a limited amount of time. And what we do is we progressively overload their bodies. Uh, we have them starting with very basic weights. And then uh, slowly but surely, uh, by the time they get to like the sixth or eighth week, they're doing more weight than they've ever done in their entire life in a very safe way. Mm-hmm. So so we feel like those two things and the dropping of the body fat, the changing of the diet, we feel like these two things actually help them, again, like drop body fat and increase muscle. And then the subsequent uh, blood work that comes along with it it comes out all positive. Um, like, especially with uh, the last client that we were talking about and uh, countless other clients, you know, we've, uh, we've actually got them off of their blood sugar medications. Uh, we've got some of, some of them off of their insulin. And uh, it actually with, uh, with that client, we got them off of blood sugar and we also got them off this heart medicine as well, but not saying that, you know, what we did was uh, the, the thing that did it. But in general, we find that when their body fat levels are down, when their uh, muscle is increasing, uh, that actually brings out almost like the best blood work. And we don't necessarily have to focus on eating certain foods or doing anything. We just focus on those two things. Mm-hmm. So with those scans that you were talking about, is that something that anyone can go do or is like a, a special piece of equipment that they can buy or where can they uh, access that? They, they just go. So it's DEXA and then they would have to pay for getting the scan. It would be anywhere between, let's say like 50 to $125. Mm-hmm. And uh, they could just like scan basically go Google and, you know, search out their city and DEXA scan. And there's going to be someone out there that actually has a DEXA scan. Now I would not say to, uh, to, to buy this. It's, it's like a, I think it's like a few hundred, a few, it's like five figures to, to get this uh, piece of equipment. Okay. in your <laughs> Yeah. And you need a, and you need a, a qualified health professional to, to do it because mm-hmm. it's working with x-rays and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. if they search their city, they search DEXA scan. I feel like that's one of the best ways 
to, to actually assess you mm-hmm. in one of the most accurate ways. It's like getting an audit for your body. And I, I recommend everybody get it. Now, is there a specific window that's recommended for like age, sex, and like height, all of that? Is there like um, like boxes that they kind of want you to ideally yeah. fit into? Yeah, there's, I mean, you have your, they give you almost like the, the age and uh, the, the new average of what body fat should be. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, they'll, they'll tell you like what body fat should be personally for me. Um, when I'm, when I'm dealing with, uh, let's just say like a female client, I would want her body fat to be anywhere between 17 to 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm dealing with a male client, I want his body fat to be lower. I want his body fat to be anywhere between, I'd say like 16 to 20%. And, uh, in general, I found that those are the ranges uh, re- almost like regardless of age. I mean, if they're like 80 years old, you don't necessarily want that ratio. But mm-hmm. again, for people between like, say like 30 to 60, that's a pretty good ratio to be between. Yeah. Oh, fun. I want to go do that now. I'm going to look it up after. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, okay. Sorry. Uh, where are you located out of? Oh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. Okay, cool. I can, I can help you find one as well, just to make sure you got a legit one. And then uh, again, when you're doing this DEXA, obviously they're going to give you the body fat, the lean mass. See if you can get one that actually gives you the android or actually the visceral adipose tissue. Okay. Cause that's one that not a lot of them do. And then once you get that, then it actually shows you like how much of this dangerous fat you have on your body. You can actually, uh, you can actually test yourself again the mm-hmm. next time you get this DEXA to see if it actually goes down. So cool. So is there a relation to that visceral fat? compared to like that trunk fat like is it possible to have a lot of trunk fat and zero visceral fat or like very no. little visceral fat oh uh, no well actually so what they give you is almost like a calculation based on uh your android region okay right so this trunk fat right uh-huh. here and and no it, it, if you have like a in like a huge belly you're and you're not like a the world's strongest man um, mm-hmm. and you have this massive belly, then it is a, that is a correlation to having increased visceral adipose tissue on your body. Okay. So they yeah. do go hand in hand. Oh, for sure. Belly fat and belly fat and the visceral adipose tissue are hand. Yeah. They're, they're two peas in the pod. And those are usually related to heart issues as well. So it is related to heart issues and other, uh, and other preventable diseases, uh, things like obviously like uh, type two diabetes, uh, it's correlated with uh, certain forms of cancer. Mm. It's correlated with certain uh, with prevention or preventable heart disease, mm. and uh, and also just like a reduction of your hormones and testosterone levels. Mm-hmm. So um, with it's type two diabetes that you you get basically off of poor yes. poor health, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So with that. Um, I guess first when it comes to preventing it, like that's pretty much just having a clean diet and moving, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. So when it comes to reversing it, like, is there a specific protocol that you attack with that? Because what's interesting, um, I know some people that have it and you would look at them and you wouldn't say that they were out of shape, right? Because they're, they're probably thin. They definitely don't have a lot of muscle tone. Um, so like you were tweeting the other day, like they're like the skinny fat. So yeah. it's not necessarily being like, like obese or visibly fat that can get you there. So I guess when you're tackling that yeah. with someone who's like skinny fat, is that different than someone who's overtly overweight? Yeah. 
Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, and skinny fat is one of those like just things that no one necessarily talks about. But I actually find it to be somewhat worse than being obese because、mm. you're still open to the same diseases, and yet at the same time, at least obese people actually have muscle. They actually have a semblance of muscle on their bodies. That's why you see like some obese guys out there. They have like massive calves. You're just like, damn, how'd you get those calves? <laughs> you know, but but with skinny fat people, you have to approach it in a very different way, and it's also it, it comes to a choice, right? So、uh, let's just say we're dealing with someone that has 40 pounds to lose, and or 50, whatever it is,、mm-hmm. you have a good significant amount of、uh, pounds to lose. So obviously, the one thing that we're going to do is we're going to target fat loss, and、uh, this this comes with you know、uh, changing up your diet,、uh, eating a certain way, and、uh, making sure that、uh, you're also keeping and retaining your muscle. Right? With skinny fat people, it's a little bit different. It's almost like you have to make a choice. Hey, are we going to choose to、uh, gain muscle, or are we going to choose to burn fat? And usually. Depending on the situation, we like to say, "Okay, let's choose to burn fat." But then I have to prepare you for this, because with skinny fat people, it's not going to come off as fat as it's not going to come off as fast as say like someone who has forty pounds to lose.、Mm-hmm. So I remember,、um, I remember we were dealing with、uh, with one of our clients, and it was just a slow roll for him. Like he, as opposed to people losing two and a half or two pounds off their bodies a week, he was losing like point seven five to. One a week, and that could be pretty frustrating if you're doing everything that you you feel like you have to do, and you're only seeing like this this very minute drop.、Mm-hmm. But that is almost like something you have to go through in order to get you to where you need to be from a fat from a let's just say like a body fat perspective.、And、I always say it's like two choices. Okay, so we're going to burn body fat. We focus on that first. It's going to be a slow roll. Just let me prepare you for that. And if we choose gaining muscle. Have to prepare you. It's going to be a slow roll, so it's almost like it's almost like you have to take a little bit more time with、uh, people who are skinny fat because you're working with two separate things at once. You're working with the the building of the muscle, and you're working with the burning of the fat, and these two things are are preferably done separate from each other.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So would you say that it's kind of it? It has to be that combination of movement and diet, like it, versus because、sure. there's some people, and I don't really get it. There's some people that are like the diet only. They think a diet only、mm. can fix everything, and then there's some people that think diet doesn't matter at all. All you have to do is move. And then I guess based off of your experience, it both kind of have to work in symbiosis. Yeah, diet. Okay, so it's it's diet, it's exercise, it's、uh, sleep. It's also,、uh, I mean, I guess you could say water is combined with diet, and I would also say it's、uh, it is their perception and their reactions to stress,、mm. right? So, like,、um, again, I, I feel like everything should be whole and everything should be done together, and that's where you actually get the most benefit. If you focus on diet alone, you're going to burn some muscle, and you're going to start off maybe lower and、uh, and maybe in a worse spot than when you began. If you focus on only working out. Then you can almost like go too hard with the workouts because you're trying to burn calories, you're trying to get in shape, you're not fixing actually what needs to be fixed when you when you're trying to lose weight, which is the diet. So、mm-hmm. both of those things together, it's just like gangbusters. It's amazing. And then obviously getting the adequate amounts of recovery when you're getting like sleep six to eight hours, depending on what you、uh, depending on what you work with and depending on what、uh, what works well with you. 
that obviously is a big factor in helping you uh, not only gain muscle, but also recover from your workouts. And the last part is just reaction to stress and how we're perceiving stress and how we actually, and what we do with that stress. So working with uh, entrepreneurs and just anyone in general, I feel like there's like this elevated amount of stress and it's not you stress. It's not like the stress that actually helps you. It's the stress that actually drives you down. And I feel like everyone's stress levels are starting to rise right now. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is we try to actually have them look at their stress in a very, in a very kind of like, just in a way that brings awareness around it. Because a lot of times when people go into these behavior or behaviors, when they're reacting to stress, doing it in a very unconscious way, they're not necessarily thinking about it. So when we actually get them to focus on the stress, what happens is, is that they're aware of it. They understand when it's happening. They have like this, they have almost like these options that they can do with it that don't, that don't have to do with eating, that don't have to do with destroying their body. And, and we try to push them in a certain way to, to actually use that stress up and use it in a way that's actually just that's good for their bodies. Um, and I would say the, the stress part is the low-key thing right there. Uh, and, and a lot of times when, and again, the reasons why people don't exercise, the reasons why people don't get as much sleep, and the reasons why people uh, don't necessarily eat as well is because they're living very high-stress lives and they have no idea uh, how to manage it and what to do with it. Yeah, I feel like if you don't get those things into check, you could have a perfect diet and a pretty solid workout routine, and you're just going to continue to kind of so like self sabotage and not see results. And it's really trying to get your mind in alignment with all of that too. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, absolutely. And also, like, I'm so glad you talked about the mind. And it, it's it's almost like you have to get yourself to to see yourself almost in a different light, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people identify with uh, the fact that uh, they are fat or the fact that they are obese or they have this, they identify with what their weakness is. Mm -hmm. This is going to be me, you know? So we actually need to change your mind as we change your body. Because as you know, actually not, not a lot of people know this, but losing weight is actually easy and everyone's done it right? We all know people who, everybody who's lost 20, 25 pounds off their body. And what happens usually? They just put it back on mm -hmm. and it all just comes back on, mm -hmm. right? So, so we need to find a way to, to actually manage your mind and also to have you see yourself and identify yourself with the things that you're doing. So instead of like being like, oh man, I got to go work out. Oh, I have to eat healthy and you know, I'm torturing myself. It's torture, you know, such, such entitled thinking, I know. But, <laughs> but when we actually start identifying with being a healthy person and start molding thermostat in our brains to feel comfortable when we actually drop this weight, then we can get away from self-sabotage and we can, we can see when self-sabotage happens mm -hmm. right when it's happening. As opposed to what happens usually when it happens unconsciously. You have a little bite here, a little bite there. Next thing you know, 25 pounds later, you're back to where you were before. So, so we have to change the mind as much as we change the body. It's really interesting, I guess, the, the comfort of identifying as things that aren't in our best interest, right? Like, So identifying with, you know, like I'm – I'm always late or I'm a failure or I'm always going to be the chubby kid. And like, that's so easy to stay there. And I think it's, I guess, partially probably because it's known. So it's like the devil we know, 
versus Mm. shedding that and being like, well, who am I if I'm not these bad habits for me? So I, um, I got pretty sick early on. Like I had really, really bad endometriosis when I was 19 to the point where I had to have like surgery to kind of like clean it out. Um, and then I, shortly after got hit with Graves disease, which is a hyperthyroid autoimmune issue. And it got so bad because it went untreated for a long time because no one knew what was wrong with me because I looked healthy. Mm. Everyone thought I had an eating disorder. And that's like the problem with being a woman is like they saw a young college girl that was underweight and they were like, oh, she's just not eating. I'm like, I'm eating like a horse. Like I promise you, I'm eating like a horse. And it just went so long that I got down to 90 pounds, which is really light for me. Wow. Um, my muscles atrophied. I couldn't go upstairs or use my legs anymore. So my husband actually had to carry me around. It was really, really intense. And I remember when I um, started recovering and I was on medication, I was I went to the gym and I was like, I'm going to try to um, just do the leg press, like super light. And I couldn't do it. My legs still mm. weren't to a point where I could do it with no weight. Um, and I was, I broke down. I started crying in the middle of the gym and I was like, I will never take my health for granted again. The moment that my muscles come back, like I'm never going to look at working out like I have to. I'm going to be like, I'm blessed that my legs Mm. work. And anytime I get into like a negative loop where I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to go to the gym. I immediately go back to that anchor and I'm like, no, you get to. Your legs work. This is such a blessing and like don't even for a second look at it like a bad thing and that's helped me so much just that reframing yeah it's 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 looking at the aspect of using our bodies as a privilege right not necessarily as a right especially like if you if you get your health taken away from you that i hope should be enough to to push you to actually never let that happen again to Mm -hmm. you right and and the thing is like we take these things for granted. Um, even the most simple things, man, just like if you've ever sprained your ankle, what's the thing that you're hoping for? <laughs> you know, you're like, I just hope I walk properly again. And when you walk properly again, you're like, oh, stupid ankle. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you know, you know, walking's normal to me. When the reality is, is that, you know, these things are not necessarily a, a like, you have to do this and you must do this. It's, it's literally like, yo, dude, I am living such a great life that I get to actually carve out time to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm able to use my body in the gym. I'm able to be like, to actually increase my strength. I'm able to actually improve inside the gym. And, and and when we start looking at these things as, as almost like, I, I like it. I like it to call it as like looking at it as like your sanctuaries and looking at it as like your places of healing and places of improvement. Mm-hmm. Then, then I feel like, you know, maybe more people would actually start gravitating towards it when, when they kind of get away from the, the work aspect of things and get into the aspect of like, Hey, guess what? Like I'm blessed to actually be in this world in the first place. I'm blessed to be using this body. I'm blessed to have an arm and a leg and hands and everything that I have right now. Mm-hmm. And I will not take this for granted. Mm-hmm. And I will use this whole body and my brain to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's the, I mean, fuck, man. that to me is, is the pinnacle of mindset. And I'm so glad you're able to just like have that moment. It's almost like that rock bottom moment. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just like never again. And, and, and far be it for me to say, I feel like a lot of people have to hit that rock bottom. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like they have to learn the hard way. And if you don't, and, and if you're listening to this and you don't have to learn the hard way, 
please do something about it, right? Please, please. Right, that's what they say wisdom is. Wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And like knowledge is learning from your own and being a fool is simply not learning. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we we know that on Twitter, just just being on that platform. (laughs) I'll have to take it in small doses because it is like, it is very... Um, like it, it draws you in. I don't want to say addictive, but it, it it's pretty close. It draws you yeah. in, and you're like, I have to share my thoughts. And it's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. Not all of the time. Take a minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes the pause is like really good. You know, That's just so like uh, just a little. Uh, you know, give it like you know maybe like an hour to marinate, and we'll we'll see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. You know, but but Twitter is awesome, man. In you know, in social media, you know, like a lot of people kind of um. You know, the, a lot of people are poo-pooing on it, you know, and they're just saying, oh, my God, it's the devil and all this kind of stuff. And it's like the devil is only the witch and the way in which we use it. You know, that's the devil. You know, mm-hmm. the devil is the way in which we we allow ourselves to create with it or to consume with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm pretty sure with Twitter as well and just any kind of social media platform, we've learned so much. My My wife has been on Instagram. With like the baby advice stuff, uh-huh. like crazy, mm-hmm. like crazy, and then and our child is like so well adjusted. I'm like, well, thank you for this free information. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> thank you for this. You know, yeah, I feel like there's like almost like it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater when people talk about social media sometimes. But man, social media is like, if you use it correctly, I feel like social media can like change your life. You oh, know? it definitely yeah. can. You can definitely use it as a tool. I just think for me. I mean, it's 100% changed my life. I don't know where I would be without social media. I have no idea what version I would be living out. But it's also – it can be, like, really frustrating and even, like, sad when you do see some of the interactions because you're like, man, I don't know you, but I'm pretty certain you wouldn't be talking like this if I or whoever you were tweeting to was right in front of you. And why can't we piece that together? Like, why – why is it so easy with this anonymity to just be the worst versions of ourselves? And I think that's the the sucky part is you just want yeah. people to be doing better. And I'll also throw this out there that, uh, you know, guys on Twitter get treated differently than women on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And when I see some of the interactions with like, you know, from, from a guy towards like, say a Twitter account like yours or a mm-hmm. Twitter account like, layers or whatever it is i'm just like embarrassed almost to a certain extent because it's just like uh they they you know they will have the certain uh like you'll have the certain percentage of people who just use it to 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 really outline how much hatred that they have inside of their own lives mm-hmm. and um and yeah yeah I, I guess with just with anything it's like take it take the good with the bad and you know it is what it is you know and there's always going to be a positive and negative and, and the same with you I don't know where I'd be without social media mm-hmm. whatsoever, man. I, yeah. It sounds weird to say that actually, but mm-hmm. I don't, I really don't know if we'd even be in Costa Rica right now, if it weren't for social media, you know? So always a good and bad to every single situation, man. Always. Yeah. That's the cool thing too, is a lot of people are focusing on what's, I guess now being coined as nomadic wealth. So being yeah. able to work v- virtually and really prioritizing that especially given the fact that 2020 happened and you realized whatever (laughs) the kicker is is when I first started um in my career everyone was like this isn't 
it's not wise, it's not stable, it's not mm. smart, it's not um, – there's no longevity in it, yada, yada, yada. Like all of these reasons why my decisions were shit. And <laughs> 2020 comes and I'm one of the few people that is already solely based off of a virtual income source. Mm. So it didn't really affect me, thank God. But my husband who had you know the safe route to most people, he um, has restaurants – Guess what happened to those restaurants? <laughs> They're still open. And again, we we were we we're very fortunate that neither of us were were affected like so many other people. But we had to shut down for a, a good amount of time. So yeah, this, you don't know, right? You just want to. You, you don't know, and in general, I love freedom, man. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, like yeah. so. So there's there's mental freedom. There's there's uh, there's financial freedom, and and low key location freedom is is one of those things that that i have almost like gravitated to and the reason being is because like the world has become so small mm-hmm. and if you could work from anywhere in the world and be able to house yourself anywhere then then why the heck not you know and i and i have this thing you know like uh Especially with like nomadic travel, one of the reasons why I went into, uh, let's say, uprooting my family, selling our house, taking us to Costa Rica, uh, is for something very specific. I, you know, I've I've always lived about ten to twenty miles away from my hometown, mm-hmm. always, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I find that sometimes like that to me was like a comfort, you know, always being around the same old people and always being around. Uh, others and, and even the environment wasn't suited for my personality it was like toronto and this city it's like the city's suburbs and like all this kind of stuff and i remember it's just like dude life is i remember telling myself at some point it's like life is way too short to to live in environments that that do not suit your personality mm-hmm. and and that was actually my first foray so i actually sold my gym in december 2018 um Good thankfully that gym is still alive yeah i know i'm like oh I, I i just hope that for those owners that they're still able to keep it you know celebrate to keep it the the doors open and whatnot and they seem to be doing a good job with that and i sold in december 2018 and then i maybe took like a month or two to kind of like figure out what i really wanted to do because i was I'm, i wasn't done you know i still wanted to do stuff and then there's just there's a couple of things. Number one, when I was going to start a business, I needed to be expansive. I needed to be uh, almost like limitless to a certain extent of how I can grow it. And the other thing was I needed it to be virtual. I didn't want to be confined to a location mm-hmm. whatsoever. And uh, and yeah, you know what? Uh, living here in Latin America for the last little bit, just like everything, we got the good and the bad. You know, I mean, the good is this environment and everything, but uh, but there's you know if you always got to take the negative and the positive situations as well. So there's been like a, you know, maybe we've lost a phone or maybe lost a laptop or two down here, you mm-hmm. know, and just have to deal with those kind of like little petty crime stuff. But, but again, it's just, you know, I, I mean, man, I don't know what, I don't know what I'd be doing if I had to stay in Toronto for lockdown, man. Like, um, like I don't, I don't know. So is it still locked down right now? Yeah, it's still locked down. Like the numbers are going down. People are now they're giving you the roadmap to opening things up again, but nothing has opened up yet. They're still in lockdown, and I think it's going to get better. I really do, uh, but <laughs> I hope. But I, hope I am not going to be there to figure it out. You know, so I'm not going to be there to. 
Did they not release the? Do you guys have vaccines up there? Yeah, we, like, we had vaccines, know? but uh, but they kind of bungled up the effort in the a little bit. And I would say this right with Canada, we're always about maybe two to three steps behind the United States. So if something is happening in the United States, uh, I always find that probably going to have to wait maybe like two maybe like two more times the the wait time to to have it happen in Canada. Mm-hmm. So vaccines got went crazy in the United States. Everybody's partying right now. People are going to like the NBA games and whatnot. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then Canada, people are like now we're just getting past the point of having people like you know vaccinated. Wow. And now we have enough vaccines for everybody. Okay. We didn't have enough vaccines for everybody. So, so, uh, so yeah, it was a little bit slower in Canada, but now hopefully things are turning around. Uh, but, but still, who knows if we're going to be even staying, staying there long-term. We'll yeah. See. So what are your plans? Are you going to like be bopping around and seeing yeah. the world? Yeah, we're going to, yeah, uh, we are going to be bopping. It's going <laughs> to be amazing. Yeah. So, uh, I was actually having this conversation um, with this uh, real estate mentor. He's uh, he's actually uh, we're living in his uh, villa. He you know he's allowed their family to kind of like live in this separate casita. And he told me he was just like you know what Dan like you're in a position right now where you can just like date as many cities as you want uh-huh. right and and see and see as many things as you want and, and kind of like figure out where exactly do you really 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 want to set your roots. And, uh, and yeah, so our first stop is going to be in Colorado. We're going to be st- spending time in uh, Boulder, sometime in Aspen, sometime in uh, Vail. Uh, then we are going back to Toronto to actually just do a bunch of stuff or we're building a couple of things down there and we just have to figure those parts out and kind of like put boots to ground on that. And then most likely we're coming back here in Costa Rica for the winter time. And going to be spending maybe like three to four months. And again, it's, it's almost like our stuff is in storage right now. Mm. So we're really just like vagabonding it a little bit uh, with, uh, with yeah, a wife and a baby, essentially. That's really cool. Vail is one of my favorite places I've ever been to. It's We went in, um, when was it? Like two winters ago. And I was like, it is the equivalent of being in a sn- like snow globe. That's like what you yeah. feel like. You're just in the cutest little snow globe there ever was. Amazing. Yeah. I can't wait. And, uh, you know, we're, we're living beside beaches right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like there's like this vortex, you know, it's <laughs> like, have you ever heard of energy vortexes and stuff, but, mm-hmm. but it, it's almost like this vortex is here and it is beach related. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm so looking forward to kind of like being around the mountains mm-hmm. and being just in awe of, of the vastness. And there's so much difference, such a different energy between, like a beach setting and in the mountain setting. I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but it's it's just different and we're looking forward to kind of like having that that change of pace a little bit. Oh, 100%. I think that when you're like towards the mountains or in like some deep forest, it's just a lot more grounding. I don't know, like you just yeah. like way more centered, at least for me. Yeah. We live at the beach too and I'm like, I love it and I love like opening my doors and being able to smell like that salt air um but there for me there's just something way more like magical and healing about being with so much greenery and like height of mountains and vastness all of that yeah uh being oh man just the aspect of being within nature and actually breathing in uh, the greens that are around you. My friend was just telling me, "Is like, yeah, man, the plants are giving off sexual energy and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. I'm like, dude, whatever it is, you know, it's great. You know, it's working and you keep on doing it. And 
there is just something to be said about like walking through a forest without technology mm-hmm. and walking amongst the mountains and the the almost like the change of effect that it, it gives your brain. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, I think they call it Shin Shinri, Shinryu Yuku or something like that. They call it forest bathing in Japan, mm-hmm. and it's it's literally just like walking to a forest and just not bringing anything with you and just being there for about thirty minutes and just bathing in the greens. And um, and we've been able to kind of like so uh, down here in Costa Rica, everything is like open air, and mm-hmm. you can't really like eat in air. Actually, this is the reason why. Uh, part of the COVID situation down here has not gone uh, too crazy because everyone's out in nature. Everyone's like not confined inside. Mm. So, so I found that when I'm down here, as opposed to being around like buildings and cities in Toronto, I am just less stressed, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that when you live in a city, there's just like amplification of anxiety, mm-hmm. amplification of stress, amplification of needing to do something. And then down here, when you're breathing in nature and you're walking and you know, you're not surrounded by tech and buildings, it's almost like this reduction and this like removal of stress. You're not as high strung anymore. And, uh, and yeah, this is to me, like when I'm talking about it right now, I'm like, this is a huge signal. Like follow this right here, mm-hmm. pull on this thread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that the number one prescription for depression and, and anxiety in Japan? I don't know if it's you, number one that you like. They yeah. you go and forest bathe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they prescribe you. Mm-hmm. That is what they do. They prescribe you to like <laughs> drop your phone off in your desk and take four thousand steps inside of that forest and then come back and let me know what's up. And Japan is such a like Japan is such a subset as well as such a really cool. It's such like a really cool. I guess you could say sample size. Uh, because they are the highest stress people, at least from what I what I see from the media. But but again, they're they are so tied into their work that they need stuff like this. Well, they need like forest bathing. There's actually I can't remember the term for it, but they actually there's a term in that's only exists in Japanese, and it's dying of overworking. Yes, because they yes. would people would be on the subway and people would think that they were asleep and they were actually dead. They would be oh on their commute back home or to work and they would just die. And everyone just assumes that they're sleeping. And it was happening so often that they came up with a term for it. It is wow. wild. That scares me, man. Mm. You, know, especially, you know, especially as like an entrepreneur. I mean, I don't think I've seen it happen to like any entrepreneurs like working themselves to death. As, like Elon should be like fucking 20,000 feet in the ground right now. But <laughs> But that's actually something that does like scare me, especially with like entrepreneurship, you know, and actually it's a pretty good fear too, because it's like the balance between uh, really just crushing it and trying to like do as many cool things in your business to grow it. And then the balance between being with your family and uh, trying to spend as much time with them, trying to like, you know, trying to be there, you know, to, to be actually seeing your, your child grow mm-hmm. and then the balance with your health and the balance with your body. Yeah. So one thing that, uh, that I'm always like, I guess like coming from like a fitness aspect, I'm always trying to make sure I'm, I'm like scheduling in my exercise and I'm scheduling in my fam- family time, especially now that the business is getting like more complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like I need to do that, you know, because don't want to be that guy in the subway, you know, like giving up his life just to, just to work and just to make like a couple extra dollars and whatnot. So yeah, we were at, to think about. We were at the park the other day, and we always saw this woman with this little girl, and we thought that it was the little girl's mom because they look similar, and 
the age, all that. We just assumed. And we come to find out it was the nanny. Um, and no judgment. Huh. Like I have a nanny, <laughs> right? So like I think it's very useful, especially if you're a bit, you have other aspirations other than just being a parent. Um, yeah. But she was like asking like, where does so-and-so live? And just like engaging with the kid, like call, like talking about friends and family members. And she goes, where do mommy and daddy live? And the little girl said, in their office. <laughs> and my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, whoa. The little girl's like maybe three. Um, and we're like, it is alarming how pers- like per- aware they are, right? Like little kids are just – they see everything at such a young age. And it's like everything's a trade-off. So you will probably never achieve what you would have achieved if you didn't have kids. Can you still achieve greatness? Absolutely. Elon has what, like five kids? Yeah. And he's – like the richest man in the world and trying to bring the our species to be multiplanetary. So very lofty goals. So yeah, you can absolutely achieve greatness, greatness as a parent. It just probably is going to look a little bit different than if you weren't a parent. So I guess how what's your perspective on on balance because you see a lot mm. and I I pick on this guy a lot but I just fundamentally disagree with what he puts out there is Gary V. I just don't okay. like that guy. I think he offers really shitty advice to everybody. I hate yeah. hustle culture. Um, there was this video that he recently put out where he was like scheduling one hour of family time. And I was like, yeah. you want to see your family one hour a day? Like you, you feel fulfilled. You feel like a good dad. You feel like a good husband. There's no way. There's no way. So like yeah. where, what's your balance like? How do you, how do you do it without feeling like you're doing a shitty job at work or you're doing a shitty job at home? Well, number one is going to be scheduling the time that you need and also uh, using Parkinson's law as well. So Parkinson's law to me is just like whatever work that you give yourself within a specific time frame, that is the work that's going to get completed if you're giving yourself a deadline. So I make it a point after 4 p.m., I'm not touching anything. I may be on Twitter and like replying back to people or whatever, but I'm literally not at work mm-hmm. and I'm not doing work things whatsoever. That is family time. Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes to balance, it's, it's really just like a prioritization of time. Right. And Gary's like, I'm going to give one hour to his family out of 24. Well, that means that you value your family one out of 24, right? That is the amount that you actually value your family. Mm. So whenever I look at a guy's priorities, I'm always looking at the schedule. And just if his schedule is like 99% like business, then guess what? That's the only thing that is 99% of what matters to him. Mm. So, you know, men lie, women lie, but your schedule will never lie. Mm. So I look at what is prioritized and I make sure that my work time is my work time and no one can get in on it, that I'm scheduling in my workouts and my workouts are non-negotiables. And also I'm trying to create a business that is not about hustle culture, culture, culture. (laughs) It's not about hustle culture. It's not about like, you know, trying to work like 12 hour days and trying to, and trying to be as big as possible and trying to, and trying to just like sacrifice everything in order to get a goal. I actually feel like you can, if you, if you actually give it a bit of thought, and strategically do it in a certain way, you can have the goal and you can have the lifestyle all at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
right? And and I don't I don't watch Gary Vee that much. Uh, you know, I'm not. I, I do know like what is what his message is, but but in general, like there are there are very a great many ways in which to actually own and operate and grow a business. So I try to look for Archimedes lever essentially when it comes to business. And for me, uh, Archimedes lever is actually having like really awesome people, you know, like literally I have a CEO, uh, we have a team and, um, and my CEO is like, you should not be doing like any of the, the stuff you don't necessarily want to do. You should actually be pure on vision and creating, and that's all you're going to do. Right. So it's just having a team of people that can, you know, basically have that or that can actually, you know, make you focus on the things that you're greatest at. Mm-hmm. So that gives you joy. And at the same time, you can cut yourself off and you can say, okay, enough is enough. I did my work for the day. I just have to go to the next day. And then just making sure that you're looking at your schedule and then understanding that your schedule is going to show you exactly where your priorities are. Mm-hmm. So adjust accordingly. Yeah. And I think relating it to what you, you've brought up a bunch of times is active recovery. Like so many yeah. people, when they're focusing on their body, like they want to skip stretching, right? Or they want to yeah. skip um, like myofascia release. Like they think all of that's like just fluff and it's not going to make a difference, but it makes all of the difference, right? Like if you're not doing those things, you're not healing that muscle that you just tore up or your joints aren't going to be working at, prime, at their prime, yeah. right? So it's the same yeah. thing that I – I look at balancing your life is you want to, you want to do that active recovery. You want to have that reward. Otherwise, what is it all for? So if you don't get to see your baby laughing or if you don't get to, you know, have those romantic connections with your partner, it's like, what is this all for? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's almost like, you know, do you see your family as work or recovery? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and especially with people who are, who are addicted to work. Mm-hmm. Right. They so they're sad. They work. They're angry. They work. Uh, the, you know, something happened that was great. Okay, we're going back to work, and they just make mm-hmm. their lives about work. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, is that like when they look at their families, they're like, oh my god, I got to put a bunch of time into this kid. I got to be active. I got to be present. I got to be away from my phone. And they're looking at all of these kind of things. When the reality is, is that when you actually become, let's just say, a parent who is willing to show up to to be the best parent that they can possibly be that brings in itself the rewards and part of the rewards is no therapy for your kids you know hopefully no therapy at later on in their life hopefully but mm-hmm. the other thing is this immense amount of connection that you have with your child and with your spouse and that itself is is almost like soul active recovery active oh, yeah. recovery for your soul uh, because like with, at work you know you're not necessarily getting loved. You're not necessarily getting hugged. And when you're with your family, it's like you don't have to think about all that stuff anymore. You could just be with them and not talk about it and actually be in the presence of actually seeing the world through a child's eyes again, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I have this thing. It's like I work from home. So sometimes like I'm working at my desk and then my daughter will come and crawl over. She'll, she'll go to my chair and look up at me. I'm like, and I'm just like, ah, fuck. Let's take off my headphones and like, all right, let's go. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, you know, but so for some people to be like, how, you know, how dare you, you know, get in my flow. And then for me, I'm just like, you know what? Like, fuck, this is life. This is life. You know? This is life. And 
work is life too, but this is, this is really life. And I want to prioritize this. And actually with your children as well, I feel like it's like, they give you attention. You, you need to give that attention back Mm -hmm. to them. You need to let them feel seen. Mm -hmm. You need to let them feel heard. Mm -hmm. So every time that they look at you, they're not going to be like, Oh, daddy's like in the office all the time. They're going to be like, Hey, anytime I need my daddy, I I can just like turn around and and talk to him, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. Especially at this age too, because I don't know if this is a thought that goes on in your mind, but it's one of my ruminating. So it's one of the ones that's there every day at some point. And it's like you don't know which memory is going to be the first one because we're not there yet. We're not we're yeah. we're approaching first memory territory. And it could be anything. It could be something that is negative scary. It could be amazing, right? And I do not, I want to do everything in my power to make sure that that first one is a good one or at least a neutral one. I don't want it to be like I was reaching up for my mom and she was on her phone. Like, oh my gosh, like that would, that would be like a dagger. I wouldn't be able to handle that. Um, So just being like hyper aware of that fact, I think helps a lot. And I don't want to be like, like you said, I don't want to be the one that's like, I can't go to them right now because they're in the office. It's like, no, if you need me, I'm here. What's up? And there are definitely moments where I'm in the flow of something and he comes up and I'm like, oh, man, I was really doing something and I was making some great work. But like in that moment, I get to decide what's my priority and it's going to be him, right? Unless it's like an emergency on something else and he is not in an emergent state, then sure, like that's different. But he's going to be the priority. Um, And I think when you mentioned like, is the, is the family work or is the family um, like your recovery is so huge. It's one of those compounding problems too. So it's like the, the more time you spend away from your family, the more disconnected you get. And then I think with that comes a lot of fear and anxiety because you're like, I don't know these people I'm sharing my space with. So it's like, what are we going to talk about at dinner? I'm nothing. I'm not, can't talk to them about spreadsheets. So then you avoid it even more and then compound, compound, compound. So it's like the sooner you can kind of tackle that problem head on and just understand maybe it's going to be uncomfortable for those first couple dinners because you have had your priorities shifted but if you can lean into that and accept that without like your ego getting into the way then you can heal and then you know reprioritize your life yeah one of the things that uh i i try to do as much as possible is like is is try to get down to their level as much as possible Mm. and as a guy and as somewhat of an intellectual you know sometimes you're like with a baby and you're like you know you can't have a conversation with them you, you know, they're, they're living a different world than, than you've even experienced, you know, that you are experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. So sometimes as a guy, it's like hard to get down and be like, start playing and start doing goofy stuff and like all this kind of stuff. But, but we have to act, like, for me, I actually connect so much with my daughter when I'm trying to get down to where she's at mm. and trying to release like any kind of like preconceived notions. And I think Gabor Mate said this, he was just like, one of his biggest mistakes as a parent was trying to get his child to grow up so fast. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to be like, well, I can't act like that. So I'm not going to interact with him. Mm-hmm. Right. When the, when that actually does irreparable damage, mm-hmm. when the child itself, like, you know, far be it from us to say, it's like you relating to the child. What if the child can't relate to you? Oh man, that, that hurts as a parent. Mm-hmm. And and if a child can't relate to you, then guess what's going to happen? They're actually going to seek time away. 
They're going to be into things that are, they are more comfortable with. Mm-hmm. They will, they're going to be with mommy more. You know, it's like if daddy's not giving the attention, they're going to be just going on mommy and they're going to feel closer to mommy and they're going to feel like daddy's this like stranger who lives in the house. Mm-hmm. And I come from an immigrant family and our family had to work hard. And I'm pretty sure actually your family had to work hard just to get you guys to where you were right like just to get you guys like for us we went from poor to middle class and that's something i've seen my parents do and i'm just like dude i'm so thankful thank you so much for that but i saw them work 12 hour days Mm -hmm. and i saw them work 24 hour days they were barely at home we had to do all of our catching up literally at like 30 years old wow that's when we started to mend our relationships with each other. Yeah. And now we're talking every single week and all this kind of stuff. But, but the thing is, is that like, if you have a chance to like be there as much as possible for your kid and, and to create your schedule and to create your life to, to actually have uh, like a parent and if not two parents, mm-hmm. you know, around, mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like I feel like that kid will be a lot more well-adjusted. Uh, I feel like they're going to be a lot more confident, a lot more secure in themselves. And you're just going to have like just an easier child to deal with when you're at home. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have fun with it too because you're like relating to them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think there is a magic that happens when you have a child. It's like you get to re-experience life. Yeah. Everything is different. And you can't really explain it to a non-parent because it's going to sound so stupid. But like when we had – um when he was a newborn, so he was born in December. So we had all of like the lights up and like the Christmas lights. And he was fascinated. Like, I mean, couldn't take his eyes off of the tree or off the lights that were on the banister. And just like watching him interact with something as simple as that is like, wow. Right. Or watching him as he develops, it's like one week he can't use his hands, right? He can't actively like pick something up. And then all of a sudden something clicks and you see that recognition and you're like, this is mad. Like the human experience is so magical and I just haven't been appreciating it. And it takes this to kind of rediscover that. And I don't want to lose that. And I'm sure that that continues throughout all of the stages because it's like as soon as you get out of the newborn phase and you get into the, the baby and then baby into toddler and so on, it's like, it's such a different reality right mm. and if you miss those windows you're missing the development of your the human you created yeah and who's teaching your kid mm-hmm. right like who is teaching your kid mm-hmm. and is there's something to be said about like you know let's just say like uh, my daughter uh she just learned how to suck on straws oh my too how, he just did yeah yeah and, and how and how they learned is because they saw you yep no and then they start doing it mm-hmm. There's something visceral about that, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. Because because it's like you were taught this before, and then now you're passing off this wisdom to this next generation, mm-hmm. right? To there, there's something very visceral about uh, about taking on that role, and uh, and I I've in, in the back of my mind, it's like no matter how, like how much money I make, like I, I just don't. I want to be there as much as possible to be there to see these like moments. Mm-hmm. And even our kid, like uh, our daughter's starting to stand right now. And I don't, you know, if she started to stand and started to walk and I wasn't there for that, you know, man, I just, I, I just think there would be like some form of regret, mm-hmm. you know? So we get to see things almost like anew a little bit. And we get to see things from their perspective, from their point of view. And we get to actually understand 
that life is this like most amazing, most amazing journey and trip. And a lot of the things that we're looking at that we see around us, it's like taken for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember um, just watching the movie Soul and his oh, whole thing God. was just like, yeah, this whole thing was like becoming the best jazz musician. But the reality was, is that the purpose was to, to see every single thing as if it was like brand new to you and to enjoy life that way. And, uh, and I feel like, you know, if we can do that, then babies are almost like our teachers to a large extent to help us get mm-hmm. there as well. Mm-hmm. My favorite, one of my favorite scenes from that movie, there's a lot, we've already seen it like three times because there's so much, nice. there's so much valuable information. Like anyone who hasn't seen it, go check it out. Um, it's when they were focusing on the lost souls and mm. <laughs> they were like, oh no, we got another hedge fund guy coming in. <laughs> And I was like, that's amazing. Uh, and then finally the hedge fund guy like breaks out of being lost and he throws everything off of his desk and he's so excited and he's going to start living because he found his like his life again. And I'm like, that's so beautiful. But how many of us have been or are still one of those lost souls that are just – it's almost like the ne- – I, I don't know if you saw it this way, but I looked at it kind of like flow. It looked like um, the shaman guy was would get into flow and then he would go into like this astral plane and then um, the dark side of that flow, which would be like the hedge fund guy, is the lost soul. You like lose your, your yeah. purpose. Um, yeah. So it's like how many of us are there and what do we need for us to have that awakening? Yeah. I feel – like every single person on this planet has like this one thing that they're just meant to do. Mm-hmm. And actually it's not one thing. It's like multiple things. And one thing leads to another thing and leads to another thing and leads to another thing. And it's almost like this like journey of milestones. And I remember I was like working the rat race and I was living the corporate life. And I remember this is before I got into fitness. I was doing the nine to five and, and I was actually at a job that I was getting paid very well at and I hate it. Mm. And, um, and just like you, you know, I actually, when you went into online, I, I told everyone, Hey, guess what guys, uh, I'm going to become a trainer. And everyone's like, no, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> you know, like, And I was just like, I feel like I'm pulled to do this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually quite easy for me. I love reading about it. I love learning about it. And this was like 18 years ago when, when training is not fit, the Instagram models, it wasn't as like, sexy as it is right now they actually saw personal training as like a side job Mm -hmm. it was i think it was like yeah it's almost like 19 in the 1990s or just the 2000s or something like that but i ended up uh i ended up going into training and loving it it's almost like it's almost like that thing where you're doing something and you look up at this you look up at the clock and you're just like holy crow like where did all that time go Mm -hmm. you know like and, and that's one of like those signals of flow that, that I just love. And I remember after kind of like taking that choice and, and I don't want to make light of the choice because the choice was so hard because everyone's telling me not to do it. And I was going to make less than what I was making. I was going to take a, I was going to take a very significant pay cut. And I was just like, well, fuck it. I got to do this. And I don't know why, but I feel pulled to do this. So I ended up, uh, so when I ended up doing, doing that, it is like, it is almost like you're not an imposter anymore. You're not a fraud. 
you are literally doing something that that feels just so good to you. And it's actually helping other people. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like my other job was actually hurting other people. So we were selling high interest loans to like people. And I was like, that's like the most biggest embarrassing job I've ever had in my entire life. Mm -hmm. But, but when you actually do something that you feel like you're being pulled on this earth to do, it, it, it gives you energy. It gives you a sense of fulfillment. It gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a sense of mission. And and yeah, there are some people out there who just, you know, out of fear, out of doubt, will this work out? Mm-hmm. Out of comfort, sometimes they they just have a hard time trying to make that choice. But if they're willing to kind of like abandon the ships and and really just like create a plan where I'm going to do this for one year, I'm going to really try at it, and if I freaking suck, then I can go back to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. If they can find themselves to do that, I, I swear to God, like I've never seen anyone do that and and look back with regret. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That pull that you get is so interesting because I've had a similar one as well when I was trying to make pretty big decisions for my life. And you could sit there and make a list all day, but that doesn't really make a dent in, in the reality of making that decision. All you can say is, I really feel like I have to do this thing. And then when you step into it, it's like, wow, like this is the most authentic decision I've made. I'm like finding who I am. Mm-hmm. And then that's when you, you're just like, you're truly happy on like a different level that you didn't even know you could be at. Yeah. I feel like when we make these decisions, and this was actually something that I was going through, uh, kind of making this transition. And these decisions are going to come up at pit, at the pinnacle moment. So like uh, when you're feeling the most comfortable with something, uh, let's say even for me, it was training. I was feeling very comfortable being a trainer in a gym. Then I had that pull that I said, okay, well, we got to go off on our own. I don't really want to go off on my own. I'm making a lot of money right now. You know, like you, you get these pulls at certain, at certain milestones mm-hmm. and it's almost like you have to trust yourself. You're like, All right, let's do this. And I actually say like, sometimes to make these decisions, you have to pretend like everyone in your life has passed away Wow. because yeah, it's, it's weird, right? Because we carry around these, um, these parental, these familial and cultural, uh, almost expectations of what we should be doing. Mm. And, and when people go into certain areas of life and go into certain uh, vocations, is it really their choice or was it because they've been trained to want to be in there? Right. Mm. So when we make these decisions that are going to fulfill us to the nth degree, and we're really going into something that's passionate, but it's also a big risk. You almost have to pretend as if like, okay, so if I was going to make this decision and no one around me, and I didn't have to live up to anyone else's expectations around me, what decision would I make for myself? And I had to do that actually, like, yeah, I had to do that, uh, you know, to become a trainer, um, you know, because my family was kind of like against it, uh, which is fine, you know, totally cool. But, but at the same time, like, you know, it's almost like I had to release those expectations of my parents to go into something that I felt was going to truly fulfill my soul. Mm. And especially culturally, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I can't speak for Japanese people. Um, I can speak for Chinese people. And uh, I've heard this a lot from uh, people that live in India is that there's so much parental pressure. There's so much cultural pressure to do certain things, to be a certain person. Mm-hmm. And for us to break out, well, actually, I, I think that for us to be full human beings, we have to break out of these expectations of culture. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We have to break out of these expectations from family and really do things that we feel pulled to do as long as they help other people and, and aren't a detriment to others. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I couldn't agree more. It's like stepping into your authentic self is it's impossible when you have everyone else's version of who you should be yeah. weighing you down. And it's tough yeah. because it even without like realizing it, us as parents, right, we are trying to do our best. And I think most of our parents tried to do the best with what they had and they didn't know what they were doing. So it's hard to separate like, is this me or is this my mom's stuff? Is this me mm. or is this my dad's stuff? Is this me or is this like what everyone says is to be like a good little contributing member of society's stuff? And some, I feel like deep down you know, but it's scary because if it deviates from any of those things, then you you fear the consequence of that. And it's yeah. like how – if you are a risk-averse person, how do you overcome the fear of that and then make that decision to be authentic? Because – for some people, it might be better to sacrifice yourself, <laughs> like who you want to be, than to take that risk. Yeah. And like you said, you actually have to get rid of the old. <laughs> it's always like you have to get rid of the old you. Mm-hmm. And that can be scary for a lot of people because uh, like we, we all lean on crutches. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all lean on certain things that that make us feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And whether that's our ident- like that we're identified in our culture or identified with being good mama's boy, good, you know, daddy's boy or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like, we have to let go of that version of ourselves in order to become the version that we feel is like possible. Now, how do we get over this fear? I, I don't think it's about getting over that fear. Um, I think it's about, I think it's about perceiving and managing it. So when I think about the fear, if I can actually put down, the fear in a more realistic way, then, then it, it makes sense to me. And I'm, I'm a little bit more on the analytical side. Mm-hmm. So for people who are analytical, maybe this works for you. And I like to say, okay, cool. If I do this, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen to me? Like literally write it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. People will leave me. I'm going to have to like, uh, you know, find, <laughs> I'm going to have to sleep in my parents' basement move back with my parents or whatever it is. Like, what are all the things that are the worst possible situation that could happen as a result of making this extremely scary decision? And then you write those down. Mm-hmm. And at least you have them on paper and not inside of your brain. Because yeah. when they're in your brain, what happens is, is that they will eat you alive and they will destroy you. <laughs> and they will cause you <laughs> not to do the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. So after you get analytical and you say the worst case possible, you make it as real as you can, then I would go into, okay, well, cool. Like what's the best possible thing that could happen? Mm-hmm. You know, like if I put everything into this a hundred and a hundred percent and I worked every day and I just focused on getting better and focused on figuring it out, what, what, what could happen? What's like the, what's the good things that can happen? Oh, well, I wouldn't be feel like I'd be going to work every day. I, I feel like I'm just like taking a vacation because I'm doing something I freaking love or, uh, I feel like I'm actually helping people, you know, mm-hmm. I am actually helping people improve mm-hmm. and I'm actually helping people get better. I mean, what could be better than that? Um, I could get paid very handsomely if I learn how to like monetize this and that it can be done. I've seen people do it. Then, then maybe I can make a living for myself. Maybe we can actually like make more than we were making before, you know, and, and, and at least make that part real. And then afterwards, what I would say is just like, okay, well, cool. Now, what has to happen in order to make this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do we got to do? 
And actually, let's 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 peel back. What's the goal right here? Is it right. is it to change jobs? Is it to you know what is the destination that would have you feeling really good? Mm-hmm. What's the motivations behind that? And then, what are the obstacles mm-hmm. that are going to prevent you mm-hmm. from getting to this goal? And then, what are the solutions to getting over this? Well, what's the plan to get over each and every one of these things? And then, and then, what we're doing is like we're literally making this as real as humanly possible. So it doesn't feel like this dream. It doesn't feel like this vision. Mm. It, it, it feels like it's actually like possible. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just uh, I don't. You're never going to get over the fear. Yeah. The only way to get over the fear is to literally do the thing that you're that you're fearing to do. The anticipation is the worst part. Yes, the anticipation and also like the building up in your brain of like how hard it's going to be, how much change there is going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fear is literally everything that's going on up here. And then once you start actually taking action towards it, start seeing results, then then almost like that fear dissipates and then it turns into it turns into okay well like how how can i grow this how can i make this better how can i like you know scale this up a little bit mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah and you kind of have to say when you're doing like that cost benefit analysis it's also on the opposite end too right like what if i don't what's yeah. the worst that that happens if i don't am i going to be on my yes. deathbed and think that i lived this fraudulent version of myself yes. right and to yes. me that's the worst possible outcome so there's nothing scarier than that so if you feel this pull and like you said it's it's not hurting anybody right you're not doing anything devious then or devious yeah. in a bad way yeah i've lived my life with that tenant it's like am i going to look back on my life and regret that i didn't do this right I mean, that's, if this is the only life that we have to live, that's going to suck so bad. So my whole life has almost been around, okay, well, am I, am I going to look at my, look back on my life and regret not doing this? If so, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Um, yes. Thank you so much. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can follow you and how they can support you and um, any like projects that you might be working on? Absolutely. Uh, so we have the High Performance Founder podcast. That's a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs who want to build high-performing bodies in a way that is uh, in a way that actually gives you the least amount of stress and the most amount of ease. Uh, so that's the podcast. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, please go there. And then, uh, if anything, if you want to find me, uh, go to uh, one of two places. Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot, as can <laughs> as as you know. So uh, I'm at twitter.com/slash/fitfounder and uh, my main website is highperformancefounder.com. And uh, you can find me in any of those three places. And Candice, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm so glad I had this with you. Me too. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll have to have you back on and check in on you. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please, please, I need your help. So the number one way that we can guarantee the success of this podcast is with you. So if you could um, simply leave a five-star review, if you enjoyed the content, share it with a buddy or um, go and click that little link that says buy me coffee on chattingwithcandice.com. All of those things help out a ton. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, all of the funds get directly put back into the podcast to help it grow and be its best and highest version of itself. I couldn't do this without you. I love you all. Have a good night.